Well, good morning. It's great. To, let's try that again. Good morning. good morning. It is great to see all of you today. And those of you who are watching online, we welcome you uh, to First Baptist. You know, when you hear the phrase getting face-to-face with somebody, that can have negative and positive connotations, correct? Yes, it can. And we'll give you two pictures of uh, two guys. That is my youth minister, and this is me right here. Yes, that's what I look like without a shirt on, if you've ever wondered, but you haven't. Uh, That is confrontational, isn't it? Face-to-face, eye-to-eye. We've got another picture that is, uh, there's Josh, and there's Braden and Emily. Don't you love, uh, you know, I do a lot of weddings, and the face-to-face is good for a lot of reasons. One, it means the wedding's fixing to be over, and you out there like that. But also, you know, at that particular time, the bride and groom still like each other. Isn't that wonderful? You know, it's a couple years later before there's marital counseling and all that. We're in John chapter 4 today. We're in John chapter 4. If you have a Bible, if you don't, the scriptures will be on the screens. And we're in a three-part series talking about getting face-to-face. And this morning, I think this is great news. And in these face-to-face confrontations the next three weeks are really positive. They're not negative. But I want to begin with this. Jesus Christ wants to get face-to-face with you this morning. Have you ever thought about that, that that Jesus wants to get face-to-face with you? And there's reasons behind it, but he does, and it's wonderful. In John chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, our story begins. And it says, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to take notes, that little phrase, had to, is very significant. It means it was absolutely necessity. I mean, it was necessary. It was a must. Jesus had to do that. And so much of this chapter is is cloaked in context that it's easy for us 2,000 years later in America to miss some of this. So I'm going to try to bring some of this out this morning. In Jesus' day, Palestine was divided into three main categories. We have a map. There, there is Judea, that's Jerusalem, that's where Jesus is. Jesus is going to end up in Sychar, which is about 35 miles from Jerusalem. And there's Galilee. Now, we're going to leave this map up here for a moment as I explain this. Jesus is wanting to go from here to here. That's a three-day journey walking. That's not a fun walk, but that's a three-day walk. Most Jewish people, leave the map there if you would, would not do that. Because they hated the Samaritans. And I'm going to explain that more in a moment. The Samaritans hated them, and they hated the Samaritans. And so, bitter rivals. And so, instead of doing a three-day walk, they would often do a six-day walk to avoid Samaria. They would go, this is the Jordan River here. They would go to the Jordan River, go up here, and then go to Galilee. That's the Sea of Galilee right there. In other words, they would make a three-day journey into a six-day journey just because of their hatred for these people. But it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, had to doesn't mean somebody was forcing him to. It means it was part of his mission that he had to do this. And we're going to see in just a second why he had to do this. You look in verse 5 and 6, it says, And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, we just saw that, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, the sixth hour in Jewish time, it's about noon. We got two pictures of Jacob's well. One was from 1900. And that Jacob's well, when Jesus was there, did not have a roof. It was not like, you know, like it is like it's like in a room or something here. That had been built many centuries afterwards. The well was about 100 feet deep and about 9 feet in diameter. And it, it, it was not a spring-fed well. It caught rainwater. We have a more modern picture that was probably 100 years later. That's Jacob's well. And Josh, our youth minister, said it looks like some well-intended women got a hold of it, didn't they? And they prettied it up. They made it a nice, clean little well at this point. And verse 7 is the point of the face-to-face. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Listen, while the Jewish Jesus didn't take the six-day journey for a lot of reasons, but the reason he had to go through Samaria was so he can get face-to-face with this woman that we're fixing to see. And I want to tell you this morning, I hope you believe this. I believe it with all my heart. Jesus Christ wants to get face-to-face with you. Now, if you're willing to, you can can ignore him. You can blow him off. You can look look away. But Jesus Christ wants to get face-to-face with you. It doesn't matter where you are on the map spiritually. You're not a Christian today. You're an atheist today. Jesus Christ wants to get face-to-face with you. And if you're taking notes in Luke 19.10, Jesus said, one of the reasons I left heaven to come to earth was to seek and to save that that who are lost. You're not a Christian. Jesus Christ is seeking you out this morning to get face to face. I love the chapter, Luke Luke chapter 15, it talks about the prodigal son and the lost sheep. And in verse 4, it says that the shepherd left 99 sheep to go find the one who was lost. Some of you are Christians who have moved far away from God. Isn't it neat to know, maybe scary, that Jesus Christ is looking for you this morning? Revelation 3.20, it says, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and whoever will open the door, I will come in. I will get face to face, and we will break bread. We will have supper. See, Jesus Christ loves you. And if you're a Christian, this ought to fire you up. Every single day of your life, Jesus wants to get face to face with you. Isn't that cool? The God of the universe is looking for you this morning, and he wants to get face to face with you. Now, why? Well, he loves you, and absolutely he wants to whisper that to you. But I want to tell you this. Jesus has got great plans for you, regardless of who you are. There's a lot of people here this morning. There's people in early service. There's people watching online. It's wonderful. And there's some people who go, yeah, Jesus wants to see me. <laughs> I understand why. Well, he does. He's probably going to humble you, but he wants to see you. But most of us are a little timid about this. Jesus Christ wants to get face to face with me and see me. Absolutely. And I want to give you, again, some of the context of this chapter. Regardless of your gender, you're a man, you're a woman. Jesus Christ wants to get face to face with you. Does this matter? Well, I think it does. In verse 7 through 9, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Jesus didn't even say please. You notice that? Isn't that kind of weird? For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. We'll get to that in a moment. Verse 27, though, gives some context on this gender issue. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But for once they bit their tongue. But no one said, Why do you seek her? Or why are you 
talking to her. Listen, Jesus is a Jewish man and a, a Jewish religious leader. Some of the Jewish religious leaders were weird in how they interacted with the opposite sex. The Pharisees wore the Navy Seals or the Green Beret of Judas, uh, J- uh, Jewish religious life. I mean, they were, some of them were good. A lot of them had, had lost contact with God altogether. But I mean, they were legalistic and they were, they were moral, moral, moral. A lot of them were mean, mean, mean. But there was a sect of Pharisees called the Bloody and Bruised Pharisees. Because when they were in public, they would not look at a woman. When a woman came walking by, it didn't matter if she had yoga pants on or she had a muumuu on, whatever. They weren't going to look at her. Some of you don't know what a muumuu is. Ask your parents when you get home. And they would close their eyes not to look at a woman, and they would bump into trees and to walls, therefore bust up their face. And they're not, Isn't that funny? Some of you women probably say, amen, they need that. And, and a strict Jewish rabbi, I agree with you, by the way, a strict Jewish rabbi would not speak to his wife in public. Man, that'd go well, wouldn't it? Man, let me give you some advice on that. Try that and see if you have a romantic evening that night. Are y'all with me? It's not going to work. Men are dumb enough to think it will, but it won't. But listen, here's something you need to get in your head. Jesus does not care about man-made rules and social norms and religious stuff, denominational stuff that we've put there. He doesn't care about that at all. And if you're a man or you're a woman this morning, you're young or you're old, regardless of your gender, Jesus Christ wants to be face-to-face with you. And I want to tell you something else that's really important, regardless of your race or your ethnicity. This is a big deal in this story. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said, How is it you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Let me give you a one-minute cliff note version of about a five-week history class. 722 years earlier, the hatred between these people go back hundreds of years. Remember, America's been a country 243 years. These people had hated each other five, 600 years. That's incredible. In, in 722 B.C., 700 years before Jesus, the Jewish people were divided into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom called Israel with 10 tribes, 10 of the Jewish tribes. The southern kingdom of Judah with two tribes. Sometimes they liked each other. Sometimes they hated each other. 722, the Assyrians came in and invaded the northern kingdom. And they took a lot of the Jewish people back to Assyria. And then they did something that certainly weakens the people. They brought a bunch of their people in to intermarry with them and to intermingle with them and to enter religion with them. Well, later on, the Babylonians came in and they invaded Judah. But the people from Judah and the southern tribes remained pure. So what you had after all the dust settled is you had the Jewish people, which Jesus was a part of at this time, who had kept themselves pure. And to a Jewish person then especially, you did not marry outside of your faith. You did not practice any kind of religion outside of your faith. So they looked at the Samaritans as half-breed Jews. They were half-breed religiously, half-breed spiritually, half-breed physically, and they hated them. They wouldn't talk to, talk to them. They certainly wouldn't drink out of anything that they had drank from, and they wouldn't even touch them. And you can bet that the Samaritans probably hated them back, wouldn't you? I mean, it's kind of a mutual thing when it gets to that. But here's the coolest thing ever. Jesus does not care anything. In fact, well, I won't say Jesus doesn't care about that. Jesus hates that kind of stuff. And and if you're taking notes, write this word, and I'm going to give you the definition, sin, S-I-N, the definition, racism, prejudice, and bigotry. 
You can, you can, listen, you can explain it any way you want in your head, and just like the Jewish people were with the Samaritans, but you know what? It is flat out sin. Somebody say amen. I mean, it is. It, it, it is. And Jesus didn't care about that. Je- listen, Jesus didn't care if somebody was going to be mad at him for talking to somebody from a different race. In fact, Jesus would have welcomed the argument, is my guess on that. You know the old song, Red and Yellow, Black and White, They Are Precious in His Sight? We quit singing that in kindergarten. After kindergarten, we should be singing it every Sunday. But I tell you today, red or yellow, black or white, Jesus wants to get in your face today in a wonderful way because he's got plans for you. I want to tell you this, regardless of your religion, Jesus Christ wants to be face to face with you. See, Samaritans were not only half-breed physically to the Jewish people, but spiritually they were mongrels. And the Samaritans said, we worship on this mountain. And they had built a temple. By the way, 100 years before Jesus, the Jewish people tore their temple down. That's good for country relations, isn't it? And the Jews said, no, no, no. We, the right worship is in Jerusalem. And the Jews were more right than the Samaritans on this, but they were both mixed up. And Jesus did not care one iota where she was. He was wanting to get her to a new place. And he wanted to be face-to-face with someone whose religion was in direct contrast to his You know what? That ought to be good news for us this morning. You're an atheist here today or you're watching online. Jesus Christ is looking for you to be in your face. Good way, not a bad way. You know what? If you're a Baptist, Jesus is looking to get in your face. Isn't that wonderful? Well, maybe not, but... Years ago in Fort Worth, I was, I was good friends with a, a man named Sid from Pakistan. And Sid was a, a wonderful guy. He was a Muslim, and we would talk a lot about religion. And he would tell me, I'm not a good Muslim. I said, well, that's no problem. I know a lot of not very good Christians. And, and he asked me one time, he said, Chris, are Baptist and Christian the same t- thing? And I said, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes they're not. But listen, here's Jesus. You're a Muslim. You're a Hindu. You're, you're an atheist. You're a Baptist, a Methodist, non-denom, Presbyterian. Whatever you are, Jesus Christ, if you will let him, is trying to get nose to nose with you to love you this morning. He's got plans for you. And here's the last thing that's really cool. Regardless of your past or regardless of your presence, Jesus is looking for you this morning. Isn't that good? Let's look in verse 16 through 19. Jesus said to her, oh, man, you got to love Jesus. By the way, Jesus knows your secrets. Did you know that? Somebody raise your hand if you know that. Jesus, you think you're, you are not. Jesus said, go call your husband to come here. It was polite because in that society, if you talk to a woman in public, you wanted the husband there, but Jesus is, he's up to something too. She says, oh, I don't have a husband. (laughs) Jesus just wouldn't leave it alone. You are right in saying you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. And the woman said, sir, uh, 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 she's probably stuck. You, you must be a prophet. She's on to something, wasn't she? The Jewish people held that, that a woman in this age could be married and divorced two or three times, and after that, it's kind of over the edge. If the Samaritans held to something similar, then this lady would have been pretty immoral in this society and she's been married divorced five times and she's living with someone now here's some other interesting tidbits she's at the well at noon people came to get water in the morning in the evening because why it's cooler women normally came in groups you know that would be their fun time to talk and visit and all that she's by herself 
One scholar said that it's about a 30-minute walk from that well into town. There are wells in that town. There are wells closer to that town. This woman is a real moral and social outcast. She's by herself, midday, walks a, a mile, half a mile, in this humid, arid, arid horrible climate, desert climate, to, to get water. But you know what? Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, who knows everything about her, everything about her, it's so wonderful. He's not at all offended by who she is. He's going to make her better. But I want to tell you this morning, some of you have a bad past. You know what? So do I. Some of you may have a bad present. That's okay. You know, the greatest place you can be this morning if you were drunk last night is in church. Some of you didn't like that, but you, you know it's true. The greatest place you could be this morning if you were in jail yesterday is in church this morning. Because Jesus Christ is looking for you and wants to be face to face with you. Now let me tell you something about these plans. Jesus' plans for you involve positive life change. They're, they're not going to leave you the way you are. Listen, Jesus' plans for you and me are plans that, that are going to change our life if we will let them. They're going to be for the better, but there's some pain involved when you get with Jesus and he starts turning your world upside down. Look in verse 10 through 15, and as you are looking at that, I want to tell you, Jesus' plans, I want to give you two thoughts on their plan, his plans. They're big picture plans. Jesus is looking at the big picture of your life and in my life. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And this well is deep, about 100 feet deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water is going to be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. This water that I give will come in a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And she said, man, give me that water. This is a, a well that catches rainwater, not a spring. She's focused on water which is good. How many of you are planning for Thanksgiving already? Four of us. <laughs> Five, six. Christmas, you thought about Christmas. Yeah, a couple of you. Pastors like gifts if you're thinking about that too. And that's great. But I want to tell you what Jesus is thinking about this morning. He's thinking about some of your eternities. About changing your eternity this morning. Some of you is thinking about rerouting your life and changing your life and giving you a new direction and new hope and new energy and forgiveness. You see, Jesus wants you to be concerned about and focused on making good decisions tomorrow, but Jesus' pictures for you and me and plans are big picture plans. Jesus got good plans and big picture plans for you. But here's something we cannot pass in this. He's going to confront you about your sins. Everything's been sweet up to this point, hasn't it? I won't read it again, but you, you remember what just happened. He says, go call your husband. She said, I'm not married. He said, oh, yeah, you're right. You're not right now, are you? 
you're been divorced five times and the guy who slept with you last night is not your husband. Uh-oh. Have you ever noticed Jesus gets to meddling? Now, here's the cool thing about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus doesn't confront you and me about our sins to rub our faces in it. He doesn't confront us about our sins to beat us down. Jesus brings our sins to us so we can find forgiveness, so we can find salvation, so we can find a second start and a third start, so we can find freedom. Listen, some of you God is wanting to use in a big way, but until you deal with some of those dark places and junk in your life, he's not going to be able to. I love this saying. I don't know who said it, but it's so good. Jesus, let's put that quote on the screen. Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you the way you are. I don't know who said it, but think about that. Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you the way you are. In other words, he's going to confront us about our sins, so we'll deal with them, repent of them, and then, then he throws this to us, man. And, and this is the, the last thought today. We've got to respond properly to him. We've got to respond properly to him. Did you know everybody in here is responding to Jesus right now? And you're going to. Maybe your response is arrogance. I don't need that. I, I already know this stuff. Got it figured out. Maybe you're just waiting until we say, let's stand for the, the invitation because you know it's almost over. Maybe your response is going to just be, no, God, I don't want to. I'm face to face with you and I don't want to be. Man, I want to challenge you to respond properly. I want to challenge you this morning to respond properly. How do we respond properly? Very simply, let him have you completely. You're not a Christian. Let him have you completely. You're, you're a Christian away from God. Let him have you completely. You're the most godly person here. Keep letting him have you completely. In verse 20 through 26, Jesus and the lady correspond and says, Our father, she says, worshiped on this mountain, but you say that we should worship in Jerusalem. That's where people ought to worship. Jesus said to the, the woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we know. Salvation is from the Jews. It's from Jesus. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. Ten times in verse 20 through 24, the word worship, worshipers, worship is used. Ten times in verse 20 through 24. What does worship mean? Churches have split over worship. Some people say worship is an organ in a choir. Some say it's a band and drums. Some say it's preaching. Some say it's raising your hands. Worship by definition, you can write this one word down, is surrender. 
That's what the New Testament word worship means. It means surrender. Can you worship with a choir and an organ? Absolutely. Can you worship with a band? Absolutely. Can you worship during preaching? Absolutely. The most worshipful time of any service is the invitation time when you have a chance to respond to God. You haven't worshipped if all you've done is sang or taken notes. You worship when you surrender your heart to Christ. And... And you didn't understand this. I certainly did. The, the, the moment you got saved, you know, you worshiped God that time. Because what God wants from you and me more than anything else is he wants your heart. He wants your life. And I want to challenge you this morning. What you need to do, I need to do, whether it's the first time or the 100th time, is we need to surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ. You give your life to him. Re-give your life to him. And let me tell you what happens when you do. He turns your priorities upside down. You don't, you don't keep doing life like you're doing it. In verse 28, man, this would be so easy to miss and it's so funny. Before I read that, what did the woman come out to the well to get? She brought a jar to get what? I thought she was going out there to have a Bible study time with Jesus, wasn't she? No. So the woman, read this out loud with me, left her water jar and went away into the town, and then she brings the people. We'll see in a moment. Is, that's almost funny, isn't it? She walks 20, 25 minutes out in, in the middle of the day in the desert to get water, and she has an encounter with Jesus Christ, and she worships him, which means she surrenders to him. She becomes a Christian there right on the spot. And... And she is so different and she is so changed. It's not like she's not, never going to need to drink again. But her life is so turned upside down. She leaves her water jar to run back into town to tell other people about Jesus. Is that not incredible? You know what needs to happen in my life every day and it needs to happen in your life every day. God needs to be setting the priorities. And that's not happening with many people who say they're Christians. Everything but Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but our calendars and what we prioritize shows that's absolutely not true. You give your life to Christ today, I promise you, you'll find this out. Jesus is going to change your priorities. As you stay close to Jesus and you stay face to face with him, you know what he's, he's constantly doing in your life? He's reordering your priorities. And the last thing in this, you become a difference maker. Man, when you surrender to Jesus... And you stay surrendered, and you live by his priorities, you become a difference maker. Verse 28 through 30, it says, So the woman left her water jar. She goes back into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I've ever done. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town. We go in, and they were coming to Jesus. Verse 39 and 40 jumps to this story. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He taught, told me everything I'd ever done, and the Samaritans kept coming to him. He stayed with them two days. Most of this village is saved. I want you to think about this. Hollywood could not have scripted this. Here is a, a, the enemy, a Samaritan, religiously, ethic, you know, racial, everywhere. She's the enemy to the people. She is immoral. She's a woman. She's an outcast. Samaritans were notoriously poor. She's probably poor. She doesn't have hardly any friends in the village. As by evidence, her walking out there by herself in the middle of the day. 
She, she gets face to face with Jesus. She gives her life to him. And instantaneously, she becomes the difference maker. Listen, 2,000 years later, most of that village is in heaven because of the witness of that woman. You can't make that up. You see, when Jesus looks in your eyes and my eyes this morning, does he see our sin? Sure he does. But you know what else he sees? He sees your potential. He sees what he can do and what he wants to do with you if you will just give him permission. So this is permission time. You need to give your life to Christ this morning. When we stand in a moment to sing, I want you to come. Ask somebody to come with you. You say, well, I can't do that, okay? I'll be at this door after church. Ministers will be around. Give your life to Jesus this morning. You're here today and you'd like to join our church. We would love for you to. I think I've laid out who we are as a church this morning. If that's what you're looking for, that's who we want to be. You can join after church or you can come when we stand and join. You're a Christian today. Maybe you're doing great with God. That's wonderful. Isn't it neat to know that you can't ever get too close to God? And that you can continue to get face-to-face with Him every day the rest of your life. Make that commitment. Maybe you, you're far from God and you want to come and pray at the altar or pray with a minister. And to come back to Him and come back under Him. Do it now. Let's stand. You come as we sing. you to bow your heads as Justin continues to play. Christian, where you are, 
Man, re-surrender yourself to Christ. Let Him have you completely. Maybe you're ready to give your life to Christ today. Pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. And Jesus, I believe you are the Messiah. Come into my heart. And Jesus, I surrender my life to you this morning.